Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness, and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at 9 with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. It's Monday, June 26th, and today is National Coconut Day. It's also National Chocolate Pudding Day, International Day of Support of Victims of Torture, International Day Against Drug Abuse and Illicit Trafficking, National Beauticians Day for all those beauticians out there, And you guys are going to love this, especially Matthew St. Germain. It's also National Barcode Day. Oh, yeah. Thank you for joining us and getting high at 9 with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. Use that fancy little QR code right there in the top-hand corner of your screen to find out where we live on the Internet. And we're live every Monday through Friday on YouTube and audio only on Twitter Spaces. However, we will not be on Twitter Spaces today. But we will probably be back on Twitter Spaces tomorrow. So you're only going to be able to catch us here on YouTube. But let's kick it off. That's right. We have the dope dad himself. That's right. Rico Lamit, the Quasimodo caretaker, the baby Zozo specialist. And, of course, that's right. He loves to match his glasses with his shirts today. That's right. It's the dope dad, Rico Lamit. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jason. Yellow looks good on my skin, man. Just saying, mm-hmm. just saying. It really brings out the uh, the glow. Anyways, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. Wise immortal words spoken by the late great Maya Angelou. Lots of us would be in better places with the discipline to stick to that script. But peer pressure's a bitch, and second chances can be found cheap if you look real hard in the right places. And speaking of right places, the Republican primary season is in full swing. And for once, we're seeing cannabis is one of the recurring topics of discussion between journalists and candidates on the campaign trail. Uh, while public questions about mixing su- their support for cannabis and conservatism is tri- traditionally led to politicians on the hot seat awkwardly curving their way out of giving direct answers, this year we're getting them early. And in an effort to secure his spot on the voters' top five dead or alive Disney villains list, meatball Ron DeSantis said that he would not federally decriminalize marijuana if he were to win. When asked what his vision of an American cannabis industry would look like, Disney's whitest villain ever said this. You want to run the video, Adam?
Governor DeSantis. Oh, Governor DeSantis. What's uh, your name? What's your name? I'll hold that to the end. Okay. All right, let me make my statement first. Okay. Uh, I'm here on behalf for a request for a couple of broken veterans, veterans with service-connected disease, illness, and injury. And we are saying, please, please, will you decriminalize marijuana in 2025? I don't think we would do that, but I think what I've done in Florida is uh, we have a, a medical program through our Constitution that the voters did, and so the veterans who are in those situations in Florida, you know, they're actually allowed access. It's very controversial because obviously there's some people that abuse it and are using it recreationally. But I will say this, nationally, um, uh, or, or even on the local level, um, you know, this stuff is very powerful now that they're putting on the street. And when these kids do it, it's really bad for the youth. And I just think we have to be, be very united as a society. We want our kids to stay clear of drugs and we don't want to do policies that's going to make it have easier access uh, for them. You don't even know what they're putting in some of this stuff now because you have things like fentanyl that can wind up. And so if you do something with that, it could be good night uh, right then and there. And you could die just by ingesting that. So, so I think that that's problematic. I think that we have... Um, uh, we have too many people using, using drugs in this country right now. I think it hurts our workforce readiness. Uh, I think it hurts people's ability uh, to prosper in life. And just, just from me, my experience growing up in, in, in the Tampa Bay area in Florida, the kids in high school that got involved in that, that I went with, you know, all suffered. All their activities, all their grades, and everything like that. So particularly for the youth, uh, I just think we have to be united. Incidentally, my wife, the First Lady of Florida, she has a program where we go into the schools now, and we've got athletes and people that have, that have endorsed, and it's called Your Facts, Your Future, but it's explaining to these kids what are the stakes of using uh, some of these drugs nowadays. And this is not something you want to mess around with. You don't know what they're putting in this stuff, and we need to educate the kids. Yeah, we're going to stop fentanyl or work, you know, do the border, all that. And you got to fight the supply, put the dealers in prison for a long time. But you also got to work on demand, and you also have to work on treatment for people once they get addicted. And we've actually done that in Florida too. Uh, we have an opioid recovery network uh, that we started. We now have it in 17 counties. Uh, when people go in and they get the support they need, the relapse rate has been less than 10%, which is really, really good. And so we're going to continue doing things like that. Uh, you yes. can cut it. <laughs> Man, did he skirt that question? Right. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. There you have it, folks. Excellent speaking yep. voice aside. And we don't have to break it down line by line, but it all checks out. The Republican Party front runners in route to racking up his third indictment before the end of primary season. And the best conservative option, ne the next best conservative option is hinting at another four years of stagnant federal cannabis policy and confusion. And if he doesn't just end up handing the whole damn thing over to Big Pharma. Our voters in 2020 can add Joe Biden as their top choice, regardless of party, or are pro-cannabis conservatives willing to wait patiently on the evolution, as Jason Beck would say, of meatball maleficent? I'm Regal to meet the dopest dad on the street. I'd like to hear from you guys, especially my Republican uh, colleagues here. What's going on with y'all people, man? Well, 
First of yep. all, he yep. definitely he y'all been going for for, for for three years now. Y'all been railing on Joe Biden about uh, how he can't get shit together on cannabis, and it's like uh, your candidates ain't gonna do much better. Uh, ca- candidates aren't 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 elected. Okay, can't they're candidates. All right, so they're 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 here to to placate to us to try to earn garner our support. And so this is not a statement that is going to garner any support from the cannabis community. And the fact that he's equating this with the fentanyl epidemic just shows the lack of education and and true actual information that he is lacking in this area. Any thoughts, Gretchen? I've been saying since day one that Meatball Ron is not your friend. You're the one who has been proposing to him on the side because, you know, Trump's going to jail. Uh, I just I just don't I I don't know where he's coming from with this bullshit. I I think that cannabis should wake up and see this. And I also take offense, Rico Lamy, to you saying that he's our best next hope. I mean, good Lord. No, that's not the case. <laughs> well, if, uh, if, if, if Vivek, not Vivek Ram- Ramaswamy, you can go with two percent, two percent pence. No, Vivek, what, Ram- what? Vivek Ramaswamy. Who? Vivek, Ram- yeah. Vivek Ramaswamy. Vi- yeah, Vivek Ramaswamy. All right, I don't even know who the hell that is. So you that know, tells you, you how know. lucky, how much of a chance they have. You know, you know, um, he's doing, he's doing actually be, pretty good. Be, I do not yeah, think be. that Biden is our next best hope either when it comes to this industry. Um, so. I think we're screwed royally either way we go. Mm-hmm. That part. Would, would you, given the opportunity to choose between DeSantis, Trump, and Joe Biden, who is the best choice for a Republican pro-cannabis uh, voter? Trump, DeSantis, and Biden? So Biden's, over, mm-hmm. Biden's a Republican now? No, He's I'm saying, saying who's if you're the best a Republican choice. voting... Just because you are a Republican or a Democrat doesn't mean you have to vote for I that. I was just Jason. I was just asking a question, bro, because it, it, how how it sounded to me it sounded weird. Just asking for clarity, bro. Don't shoot. Who's the best? Who is the best pro cannabis candidate? Trump, Trump. Trump out of all three of those is the best pro cannabis candidate. Why? Because he doesn't have a stance and he has no backbone or brains in his own head. So if you get enough people telling him what to do, he'll do it. If you if you can convince him that if voters are going to vote for cannabis, mm-hmm. he'll go that way. Yep, Biden is way popular. too stuck on a gateway drug, and his experience with Hunter, he's never going to become pro cannabis yep. or get on board. He's going to keep touting some bullshit pardons and pretend that that's what he did for this industry. And Meatball Ron has made it very clear what his stance is. So mm-hmm. Trump's your best bet. See, look if at that. If you want pro cannabis, we both agree now, on that. Now, if you want genuine human being uh, trump's not your winner but you take what you get who's a, a genuine human being what, what what exactly is a genuine human being what uh, is people that? with morals there's nobody left out there in this world to vote for it's kind of sad i i don't truly i'm i will tell you right now mm-hmm. and jason knows this i did not vote for trump in the last election and i will never vote for that man uh but i'm gonna vote for the man or woman uh, who respects women's rights? That's going to be my number one choice when it comes to uh, the next election. That's your number one issue. Yes, it's my so, number. I'm a woman. Yes, I care about so, what happens to me and all you jagoffs who keep taking away my rights. Yes, I have a so, problem with that. So Nikki Haley, there's got to be a lot of, of Republican women who have woken up to the last couple of years that they have been supporting Christian Sharia, people who literally want to have them shackled and powerless back in the kitchen. For y'all that don't know. Up until the late 70s, if you were a married woman and you wanted a credit card, you had to get a letter of approval from your husband. Like, well, people are, are really like, yeah, people get mad at feminism and at the LGBT plus 
agenda. And But what I see is a large swing back with all this stuff because up until a decade ago or so, most domestic violence ended with the cops just like pushing the lady in the house and a lot of those ladies ended up mm-hmm. murdered. Uh, gay, gay and trans people were getting beaten to death on the daily. So we might be experiencing a big pushback, but what we're kind of seeing is like, Republicans especially got to wake up. Yo, the people that you are voting for are literally trying to institute Christian Sharia. They're getting rid of abortion rights. They just voted to get rid of birth control and public funding of birth control. And with no compensatory help for single mothers, uh, people with dis- disabled children, or people with mental illness. And so there's this weird pro-life. We got to have as many soldiers for Christ as possible on the battlefield. But the once you're born and past two years old, there's no care given to you. All right, if I went off for a rant, I just smoked a hash joint. St. Germain out. <laughs> I think like De Santos in this instance is doing what the traditional like Republican route of like being Luke, you're muted, brother. I'm gonna be no, he's not. We hear him. hear him. We hear him. Okay, I'm gonna be tough on crime. Um, you know, I'm gonna say cannabis is the boogeyman, and then I have to find a new boogeyman to like. Uh, connect it to, which is the fentanyl boogeyman, which is like, that is becoming one of the most ridiculous arguments I've ever heard. Nobody is going to put fentanyl in cannabis and sell it to you unless they're selling it to you for like $200 an eighth. And then you would know that that's a fentanyl eighth or whatever it is. Like, this is like, it's the... One of the f- most foolish arguments I've ever seen, but it's it's a traditional path for the prohibitionists because they want to say, okay, look, weed is coming for your kids. Um, we can't let it out onto the streets when actually the statistics demonstrate the exact opposite of that. In every single state that legalization has happened, youth use of cannabis has decreased, decreased. So, I mean, to, to keep going on this tired argument that if we legalize cannabis, it's going to be kids falling over in the street, high off weed and fentanyl. It's just, I mean, it's, are we going to continue to just let our politicians talk to us like we're just idiots? Period. Yes. I feel you. I think we are. I mean, <laughs> this is America. <laughs> I mean, America is filled with idiots. I mean, that part is true. Sad, sad, sad. And, uh, and some presidential candidates uh, love their uneducated, uneducated people, as they said, mm-hmm. blatantly. You know, I, I, well, I don't know if I'd go that far. I would say that the, the diehards, the true. Donald Trump said that. Hold on. I'm saying the true believers are the ones who vote in primaries. And so that's the crowd that you got to market to. Mm-hmm. And then they try and come semi back to the center and not look like the biggest flip flopper in the world uh, when they got to try and win a general election. Um, yep. We'll see if Meatball Ron decides to flip flop. I don't expect him to. I he- think he's going to go down in flames with fentanyl lollipops coming out of his pockets ridiculous. <laughs> he's got fentanyl lollipops huh interesting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. interesting yeah mm-hmm. fascinating all right well let's keep it rocking here you're gonna do a uh ad yeah ads, we got uh, a commercial adam all right yeah we're gonna run a commercial we're gonna be right back how's it going guys saman razani coming to you from green street here with jason beck smoking on the best weed in the world Did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Spotify? Tune in now and check it out. You with us, Rico? I see myself now. You see yourself now. You see yourself now. (laughs) 
I see myself. Coming up next, he is the industry's longest continuously operating retailer, known to many for smoking the best weed in the world, and his undying support for the man once known is Donald J. Trump. Who is he now today? I don't know. I saw him in an interview last week, and I saw just a shell. Coming up next, Jason Beck. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. Hope everyone had a fantastic weekend. Um, my story today, you guys, it's a little brief, a little short story today. Because less than 25% of U.S. cannabis operators are profitable, a study finds. Only 24.4% of businesses in the U.S. cannabis sector report they are profitable, according to a new report by the Oregon-based cannabis data and research company Whitney Economics, further underlying the industry's struggles. Last year's Cannabis Operator Sentiment and Business Conditions Survey found report found that 42% of marijuana businesses were turning a profit, according to a new news release. A total of 224 respondents from 13 states participated in this year's survey and representing 1.1% of licenses in those states. Whitney Economics founder Bo Whitney wrote in an email to MJ Biz Daily in a quote, By conducting this survey, Whitney Economics strives to bridge the gap between the theories of business economics and the daily lives of operators within the cannabis industry. Operators also said that rising costs and falling wholesale cannabis prices are pressuring them to find creative solutions, as well as state regu regulations can make or break the chances of success in a legal cannabis market, and they haven't kept up with changing market and business conditions. As well as too many licenses are being issued, more than 70% of respondents uh, for or, or favor limiting cannabis licenses and the other other point that they wanted to make is that taxes remain too high, which I think all of us all agree on. The report forecasts the next seven quarters will have slower than normal growth because of the above factors, which aren't expected to change anytime soon. And the survey also gathered information about revenues, profits and margins, costs and materials. But that is not included in this article. Well, I'll tell you what, I think that is too small of a test batch to come up with a, with a score of saying 24.4%, even if I can believe in that figure, just hypothetically knowing the state that the industry is in today, I wonder, I really wonder if this is, is, is as accurate as it is all piped up to be. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the high at nine news hour. What do y'all think about this? I think it could based on what I've been seeing in California. You think you think you think that you so you agree with twenty four point four percent? I just think it's a reasonable, I, I, reasonable I, number. I said that. I my, well, my thing is why well, I I don't like the small test pool that they use gotcha. to determine this. And, and I'm sorry, Jason. What was the what was the pool again? The pool again. Um, let's see. Hold on a second. Uh, according to a Seven new, feet, new 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 report feet. by Oregon-based can cannabis data research company. Um, 42%, a total of 224 respondents from 13 states, representing 1.1% oh, yeah. of licensees in those states. I think I think that's too small of a uh, of, of, of a gap to be to be coming up with this type of information and putting it out there, in my opinion. I disagree. You disagree? Um, I knew you were going to do this. Well, I know, Bo. I know. I wrote his press release. 
I've worked with Bo. Mm -hmm. Bo is a wonderful economist. I'm not saying anything bad about Bo. Hold on. I'm saying if you look at his past data and reports, he's generally spot on. I've never seen him uh, way off with any of his numbers. So I, I would take Bo, the economist assessment of the market over yours any day. I'm sorry. Well, actually, Gretchen, I actually agreed with his number. I just am disagreeing with his pool size. I understand what you're disagreeing with, and if you disagree with the sample pool, then you're disagreeing with the overall number. I'm not. I'm saying. If you don't I'm saying think that the number is good enough, then that means you think his calculations are off. I, I think his calculations keep are going, close. I don't think they're 100 the percent there. Keep reading it. Think God, I got no time for this. Next. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't. I don't need to explain basic economics to you, Jason. Why not? Keep moving. Why not? We love basic economics over here at High Nine News. Dude, how do you not get if you think that his pool doesn't work? That that wouldn't mean that the calculations aren't right. All, all I'm saying is is that 24%, I, I could see where he could come up with that number, is what I'm saying. I, 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 I could see how he could come up with that number. You I just think that pool is too small. You and Rico need some matching flip-flops. Have they been ordered yet? I, I've, said, I've said this for the whole time. Yeah. I, I've, I, I, Jason, I actually, I actually agree uh, with you. I, th- I thought that the sample size sounded very, very small. And Gretchen, I hate to disagree with you because normally um, – I don't in some cases. I'm always right, Chris Eggers. Is that what you're <laughs> yeah, well, right. I, I normally, actually, I, I, what I really wanted to say was I don't want to get in the middle of you and Jason. I hate when mom and dad fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love but it. When it, I it is a small, it's a small sample size, it seems like. I don't know. It seems like a small sample size to me. But um, but also, you know, he can only pull the data of which he's given, right? And didn't mm-hmm. they say that only that amount of people responded back? So yeah, you know, that is voluntary data, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, you know. It's definitely not the guy's fault, but I just think it's a small sample size. But you can, can only get Bo on the line. You want to get Bo? Well, on? Ooh, I, 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 yeah, I, I, I smell a Jason. I smell I'll a get flex. Bo to defend this. I smell a phone a friend. Yeah, Gailey. Yeah, yeah. Gailey said she can get Bo on the line right now, Jason. Right now, get him, get him. Not now, but right minutes. now. We go on to another story. I'll get him on the line before another story finishes. Don't. I would you like worry. to know how how the, how the operators were were contacted and and you know if there was any pushback. Like, is it potentially that the sample size could grow? You know, once the story's out and there could be like a V two. You know what I mean? So you so you calling this poll a grower and not a shower? <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy! I, mean, I don't know if I'm as articulate as you. <laughs> <That's real cute. laughs> See what I did there? That's real cute. <laughs> uh, but I, I mean, I do think we're missing the forest for the trees on this, though. Is this is kind of, this is real right here? Twenty five percent. I mean, whether or not that's one hundred percent accurate. Anybody who's out here in the industry, especially out here in California, we can see that the industry is being demolished everybody's hurting and it's these taxes i'm from my point of view i was at i was at lobby day on the 8th of may um lobbying for some of the the taxes to be lifted it's super hard for anyone to come into this industry from the gray market or the unregulated market and say, hey, I want to go into that the legal market and be taxed to death and then be unprofitable and go bankrupt. Like that's not a very appealing uh, avenue for people to go in. So, I mean, we got to get rid of the taxes for the for any operators to be able to to be sustainable in this industry. And I mean, that starts with these governments. I, I know it's like a super uphill battle. I know Jason doesn't think like that. Uh, the feds want to get rid of any 280E stuff or anything like that. But uh, 
Man, it's 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 really tough out here for people being overtaxed. Well, Luke, you're, there's no way in hell that you are going to remove 280E without there being some type of federal federal excise tax being put in its place. Yeah, that's just, I agree. That's just a reality. What I think is, I think I I think Rico might have brought this up on one of the past shows. Is like just have the tax if you're going into that other like you have the federal excise tax if you're going into interstate commerce like if i'm selling cannabis in new jersey grown in new jersey and it's consumed in new jersey then an ex a federal excise tax shouldn't happen um if you're going into other states and the market's more lucrative then i think people will be able to handle excise tax i just think the double taxation on this the local level the state level and then on top of that if 280e is removed on the federal level it just doesn't seem sustainable to me. None of this is sustainable, bro. It's you know, this it's a it's a whole bunch of environmentalists that aren't operating in sustainability. But you know what will be handing the industry over to big pharma. Mm-hmm. Big bad wolf is on the doorstep. That's right. That's going to happen if I mean if it goes schedule two. What exactly is the fallout? The schedule two means means at that point, then every single product would be an illicit product. Um, you have the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act, and everything would be governed by the FDA. And the FDA already has drug preclusion on THC with Marinol and CBD with Epidiolex. And the FDA regulates by the molecule, um, not the actual compound. So therefore, every single product would be illicit until it was gone through an FDA study and given FDA approval to be sold, which no cannabis company has the money to do that for any of their SKUs. Not heard. I know I know Gretchen is the uh, Washington insider, but I do got a semi uh, hot scoop that I can't give the contact on. But what I'm hearing from the Hill is that it's going to a schedule three and it will happen in the next 12 months. Yep. I've been hearing that. too. Here, and, here, even, and, even, high is, and even with what schedule, schedule three, three mean, Luke, schedule three means the same thing, bro. Schedule three means the basically same thing. the same thing. 280E would be removed, though. Um, you'd be able to write off your your expenses as a business. If you um, wait for my story, St. Germain, it's all about it. Oh, well, okay. let's let, let's move right on into your story, Gretchen. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go right in. Let's go move right in to Gretchen Gailey, founder of Panoptic Strategies and dog walker of crazy dogs and costumes up and down Capitol Hill. What do you have for us this morning, Gretchen? Oh, wait, I got a response from Bo. All right. Well, I'll do my story and then we'll hear from Bo. All right. Headline. Biden administration only has two viable marijuana options. New coalition says and report the details and benefits of rescheduling. A newly formed coalition of marijuana businesses and advocacy organizations is making the case that the Biden administration really only has two viable choices when it comes to its ongoing federal scheduling review. Remove cannabis from the list of banned substances altogether or reschedule it. Um, I I can't believe these people spent money on this report, but whatever. (laughs) Uh, The less ideal option of the two, but one that the group says would still come with significant benefits. The Coalition for Cannabis Scheduling Reform, which launched earlier this month, published a report today that outlines the scientific, economic, and societal considerations that are going into the scheduling review that President Joe Biden directed late last year. Uh, Marijuana moment goes on and on and on and on, yada yada, let's just get to it. Number one, full descheduling would achieve the most progress possible from the administrative process. Removing marijuana from the CSA would help address racial inequities resulting from the drug war, lift economic barriers for the workers and businesses that exist in state markets, and go the farther towards aligning federal marijuana policy with the views of the 21st century American voters. 
The downstream effects of enforcing marijuana Schedule 1 status are staggering. Producing disparities in policing, incarceration rates, wages, employment opportunities, wealth, and health outcomes. Descheduling would allow for greater equity in the justice system and provide a pathway for individuals who have been impacted by discriminatory marijuana policies to clear their records and access greater economic opportunities. Number two, rescheduling to schedule three, four, or five would mark a historic first step on the path to comprehensive reform. As far as the coalition is concerned, keeping cannabis in Schedule 1, the most strictly controlled category under the CSA, or even moving it one classification down to Schedule 2, would prove untenable from multiple scientific and policy angles. But short of descheduling, a reclassification to Schedules 3, 4, or 5 would have significant advantages over the status quo. One immediate benefit, the group explains, is that it would allow state-licensed cannabis businesses to take federal tax deductions that they're currently prohibited from doing under the IRS code known as 280E, which only affects substances in Schedule 1 and Schedule 2. CCSR also says that rescheduling would diminish the scope of criminal penalties that could be imposed on people for violating marijuana-related provisions of the CSA. The coalition is further recommending that if the administration does decide to reschedule to three, four, or five, further action would be needed. Namely, FDA and DEA should issue enforcement guidelines to minimize economic disruption, promote state-federal collaboration, and protect the public's health. Rescheduling marijuana to schedule three, four, or five does not come without real and perceived obstacles. As a controlled substance, marijuana would still technically be subject to strict regulations governing its use, possession, distribution, and manufacturing. If enforced, those controls would pose significant challenges for the state-regulated marijuana industry as access to marijuana and marijuana products would remain subject to DEA oversight and criminal enforcement authority. Number three, the executive branch can accomplish meaningful reform through its administrative process without upsetting existing standards. Yada, yada, yada. This talks about medical value, blah, blah, blah. Number four, marijuana's low abuse potential confirms the propriety of descheduling or rescheduling to three, four, or five. This also talks about medical stuff, yada, yada, yada. And number five, U.S. international treaty obligations should not prevent the executive branch from descheduling or rescheduling to schedule three or better. One of the most common arguments that the DEA has relied on to dismiss petitions for descheduling or rescheduling is the idea that taking this step would violate decades-old international treaties to which the U.S. is a party. CCSR's report argues that those treaties should have no bearing on the government's ultimate decision. There are three main points to that end. The President's Scheduling Directive focuses on administrative authority of sections of statute that the coalition argues are unencumbered by the treaties. Two, the U.S. would still be out of compliance with the single convention if marijuana remains in Schedule 1 because the federal government's hands are hands-off approach to state cannabis markets contravenes the treaties already. And number three, the single convention provides that signatory states need not comply with the treaty if doing so is incompatible with their constitutional framework. Um, I appreciate that the CCSR has decided to go out and put out this report. I think they should just watch High at Night News. None of this is breaking or earth-shattering news to any of us out there. Uh, but it is nice to see them waste their money. Uh, these are the big boys uh, wasting their money. This is USCC repackaged as CCSR. Uh, just enjoy. This is Gretchen for High at Night News. Oh, man. Man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Schedule 3. 
Schedule three. Fun time to hand, hit. hand the industry on over to Big Pharma. Here you go, guys. Here, 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 here. Here's all our hard work. Here you go. I like how they um, made so many qualms about the U.S. breaking treaties, like as if that has ever been a problem in our history of breaking treaties. <laughs> yeah. Word. Ever. Word. Well, that's something they'd like to fall back on, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I don't think three immediately heads, hedge it, heads it over to pharma. While pharma is waiting on the doorstep, um, I think there is still room to play. I still think you will see boutique markets. Um, I think pharma doesn't know where to begin with the plant when it comes to full spectrum, and that's not going to be an issue. Um, they're going to have to come up with a completely separate pathway. That's just the way it is. They can't treat it like the current pathways that they have. Maybe they schedule three and they kind of like strong arm all these small operators to sell for pennies on the dollar to big pharma. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, uh, Gretchen, how can you say yeah. that pharma doesn't doesn't know what to do with full spectrum when they Because it's have, not how they work. Yeah, they, they operate they have, on they, single compounds. They have a third of the patents in the industry. I'm Pfizer you, alone. Yeah, Pfizer I'm not alone talking about pharma. I'm talking about the FDA doesn't know how to deal with this. Got it. And the FDA is the one who has to make the rules. Which means pharma is making the rules. Off a bit, boys. So it's going to, frankly, pretend this happens. Pretend they reschedule to three by the end of the year. I, I, life is going to continue on as a status quo because, frankly, the FDA is not going to be able to come up with rules or a pathway, I would say, for another good two years, probably, the way they move, if that. Um, so I don't think the end of the future is uh, coming just yet for cannabis. Uh, if it does get rescheduled, I guarantee you that gets some investors moving. Um, but I don't think it speeds up the regulatory process whatsoever. Well, maybe they can get um, that FDA approval, that coveted FDA approval, if they put up enough money, like all those al Alzheimer drugs. That's how it works. Mm -hmm. Well, we yeah. don't have any money, Rico, so we're screwed either way. We ain't got no money. I agree. I, to this, sorry, go ahead, Luke. I, I was going to say I agree. I definitely think that descheduling would, would entice a lot of investors. Um, I think completely descheduling is the answer, of course. Um, I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer. If you go to Schedule 3, we still have criminal penalties. Like, opiates are Schedule 3. So you, I, I was in prison with plenty of people that were there for selling Oxycontins and all the, you know, all the other pills that are on a Schedule 3 status. Uh, another thing, too, is like, the only caveat that I will say, and this is like really, really highly focused is that if you go to a schedule three in states where people medical operators were arrested they will be able to raise a medical necessity defense now mm -hmm. that's the only thing that really is beneficial to me as far as like the criminal justice aspect of it otherwise i mean we're still dealing with the same bs scheduling that it shouldn't be on in the first place um descheduling is is the way to go i i get it like Three is better than one, but uh, none is better than everything. Exactly. Exactly. I say leave it the hell alone. Leave it where it is. DEA, come in. Come rescue us. Tell them to leave it the well, hell alone. One more, one more point to make, and not that I don't love this uh, industry of misfits and rule breakers, but say they make it Schedule 3. So what? I mean, this crowd doesn't care that it's Schedule 1. I mean, is that really going to change how anyone operates? There it is. Well, it's going to bring this points new, to the this points level. to every American's big duty to grow cannabis either indoors or outdoors. If we all grow at least one to six plants, what the f are they going to be able to do with us? 
which also points to our power as a polity or a community. If we can all grow some plants and they can't stop that, imagine what else we can do if we unify our efforts. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just going to say it from this, from this perspective, is that, is that um, we have the DEA curbed in regards with enforcement um, by Rohrbacher Farr, um, now Blumenhauer McClintock, uh, budget writer bill. And what going to Schedule 3 would do would bring a whole new governing agency over cannabis, being the FDA. And I, I just don't think that the cannabis industry is ready for a new a new governing uh, governing body like the FDA. Um, and I, I just don't I just don't see it being a win. Just my opinion. Is, is there a governing body for cannabis now? Yeah, the DCC. It's the TRAP. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh, boy. You know what? We're going to go to a commercial. We're going to be right back. Thank you so much for that, Gretchen. Hopefully, too, we'll have Bo when you come back. Keeping up to date on the evolving policies of relevant state, local, and federal governments is key to success. When the future of your business is at stake, you need representation as dedicated as you are. With a maze of laws and regulations surrounding cannabis, hemp, and psychedelics, knowing where to begin can be a challenge. Good thing the law offices of Omar Figueroa features a skilled, highly focused team ready to guide you through it all. They're accepting new clients in California and New York. So make sure you check them out at info at omarfigueroa.com. I think we, I think we might possibly have breaking conversation from Bo. Do we do we have him, Gretchen? I got Bo right here in my text messages saying, Jason, stop being a wuss and give can, me a link to let Bo into the call. Can, 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 can you call him and put him what, on speakerphone? Put my phone onto the microphone? Oh my yeah. God, y'all are nuts. Hold on. I want to talk to Whitney. Why can't we get the man a link to get into the show? Yeah, you can. You can invite him into the Discord. And okay, then, well tell me but does he have to download and all that jazz? Well, that's what I'm saying. It's gonna. I mean, if he doesn't have oh, Discord, he's got to have Discord. Like a Republican operation. If I ever heard one, hold mm-hmm. on. Bo knows. <laughs> Are we gonna keep it rolling until yep. Bo comes on? Let's, yeah, let's let, let's keep it rolling. Right. Up next, he is the immortal cannabis wizard who knows more about psychedelics than uh, Ant Man and Quantumania. Coming to the stage next is the one half of the, I don't know if it's the one half, man. He's one of the founders, uh, and he is the co-host of What's Good 420 podcast. My man, the immortal. What's that? All right, should I call you back in like five minutes? Happy Monday, everybody. Thank you, Rico. (laughs) Thank you, Gretchen. Thank you, St. coming in the room with diamonds all over. Let's just get it going. China. Yeah, uh, this story is us for concern and and a great uh, jumping off point for a lot of conversations. I think we need to have you can and move that closer to having you, bro, these. So you don't have to stretch so far, what? Dave. The ashtray. You can move that closer. Hello. It's not, it's not like Are people there. talking. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. So anyway, back to this story. A man accused, I don't know if you all heard, but uh, there was a guy at the campgrounds outside the Gorge Festival in Washington shot a few people, and it turns out that he told cops that he was high on mushrooms and thought the world was in. I think there's a bit more to this story as well. 
The man accused of fatally shooting an engaged couple at a Washington music festival last weekend told the police he took psychedelic mushrooms and believed the world was ending before he opened fire, court records show. U.S. Army Specialist James Kelly, 26, is facing two counts of first-degree murder, counts of first-degree assault and domestic violence, domestic violence assault, according to documents from the Grant County Superior Court obtained by USA Today. Andy Escamilla and Jocelyn Ruiz died on Saturday night in the shooting at the Beyond Wonderland Music Festival at the Gorge Amphitheater, about 150 miles southeast of Seattle. Kelly, who is being held without bail, told officers that before walking to the outdoor venue, took the psychedelics, causing him to hallucinate. Documents show Kelly attended the dance festival with a 20-year-old woman who he dated for a year. This is the end, Kelly told his date at one point, according to documents. Records state Kelly got a handgun from a locked box in the console of his pickup truck, loaded it, and fired multiple bullets at the Seattle couple who were walking by. Camelia and Ruiz both died at the scene. 31-year-old man from Eugene, Washington, was shot at least once and was in stable condition. A security worker also responded before being shot. He is also in stable condition. Uh, Kelly's date, 911 while this was happening to reach help before Kelly took her phone away and she told dispatch that her man had a gun. Then no more information could be provided because Kelly took her phone and discarded it. Kelly shot his companion, his girlfriend, twice. Once in the foot and again in her upper leg, causing permanent injury. This officer found Kelly and his date in a field next to the campground, shot Kelly, and took him into custody, records show. Suspect was taken to a local hospital to be treated. Kelly's next court appearance is scheduled for July 5th. Uh, this is a super disturbing story, but I think it points to a lot of different things. You know, number one, psychedelics uh, aren't a panacea, and there can be problems with them, especially when people have unstable psychology. Number two, if we look into this story a little bit more, we see is this this gentleman I looked it up. He was an uh, Army Ranger with a National Defense Medal, which means he's gone overseas and killed people as a U.S. Army Ranger for the United States in kind of pointless war on terror and uh, attempt to secure global resources. When men like this come back to America, there's really little to no help given to them. And what you see in this story, and this is conjecture on my part, but it looks like he's Iron mushrooms. He's not doing well. He gets in a fight with his girlfriend, who who he ends up shooting. You know, at some point he grabs a gun. She tries to keep him from doing some of the way. He starts killing people. He shoots her. But the whole thing points to man is like we should have an another option for our at risk and low income youth that maybe they serve for America, building bridges and planting gardens and helping people get access to medicine. And we also begin a radical program of treatment for people who have been to war zones and who are not dealing well with that. And, and that we continue to educate people and look soberly and responsibly at the fact that psychedelic drugs and plants and fungi are not maybe a panacea, but another tool. And what we really all need is to begin working and flexing our compassion and our discipline as a species and a family. And I'm, I, I know that's a lot, but that's St. Germain on this story. And I'm really looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say. Super sad. Yeah. Very, yeah. very sad. Um, yeah, and correlation is not causation here. Um, Thoughts and prayers out to all the uh, victims of, of the shooting, uh, first and foremost. Facts. Um, yeah, I think, like, I, that's a really good point. I don't think it's radical, uh, Saint. I think, like, we, especially, like, high-level special forces like Army Rangers, we take them and, like, program in to be straight killers, like just, you know, go into these zones where they have to survive and, and do these crazy ops. And then we put them back in society and just like kick them out the door and say, hey, OK, now it's time to just function. And like they have to figure all that out by themselves. Uh, yes. 
it's just it's 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 really sad the whole situation is really sad and uh hopefully like like you said we could come together as a community and and provide some resources for these guys and, and women when they come back from these war zones without a doubt without a doubt i really liked your idea matthew st germain to having people do that type of community service or rebuilding this country because we definitely need a lot of infrastructural improvements uh, going on out here in this country and we can still let everybody have like you know the rappelling out of the helicopters and and the matching uniforms and the getting up early and the doing push-ups it's just they're planting fruit trees in in medians in median strips of cities and now they're working irrigation canals and they're re replacing and repairing bridges so that they don't collapse while we're driving over them and mm -hmm. all of a sudden if we take this money that we're using to keep our boot on the neck of people worldwide and we bring that money back home we might actually be able to live in a society that's a, a better world for all of its people Again, I'm a hippie. I do a lot of drugs, so there you go. All right. All right. Anyone else have any other thoughts this on this? Rough one. All right. We're going to um, – Gretchen, do you have Bo with us? All right. We got Bo. We have Bo Whitney from Whitney Economics, Bo. Thank you, Bo, for joining us. We so, so much appreciate it. Let's hit him with the questions. You're on mute, Gretchen. You're on mute. This there is such go. a shoddy operation here, Bo. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to relay the questions to you because they're coming into me through my headphone. So it's going to take you a while to understand why Jason is just so wrong. All right, Jason, what's your question? I, I just don't understand why they, they did a pool of only 1.1% or whatnot. Like, like don't does, does he feel that that's an adequate sample size of the industry in order to come up with this All right, type I got of it, aggregate? I got it. Jason wants you to defend your sample size. Hold on. Okay, go, Bo. Yeah, so our methodology that we used was to send surveys out either through directly to the licensees or via the regulators. Um, and so we got a large sample size. Um, from a statistical significance perspective, um, because we sent it out to a population of roughly 24,000, of the 40,000 licenses, and we got 294 responses, then that says that we can, there's a confidence level of 90% plus or minus 5% margin of error. So 90% plus or minus 5 is statistically significant. And in that manner, um, based upon that sample size, you can extrapolate to not only those states, but to other states as well. Interesting. Did you hear that? Do you buy that? Um, it, it, interesting. I, fi I, fi I find it interesting. Yes, I did hear it. Yes, we we all heard it. Thank thank you so much, Bo. I really appreciate you uh, co coming on. And and Jason says thank you. Anyone else want to question Bo's brilliance? Hey, I have a, I have Bo, a question. We got another question. Yes, go for it, Chris. Um, I'm curious if Bo has any insight as to what um, he believes is the contributing factor to 294 responses um and and not more i know that's out of his control but is there gotcha he wants thoughts? to know why you only got 294 what do you think it keeps people from responding to your uh surveys has to do with we do this survey annually and we're trying to go quarterly um and one of the things that limited our ability to get more responses this year was the fact that we relied solely on the 
regulators to deploy links to the survey. Mm -hmm. uh, in future surveys, which we're going to do quarterly or semi-annually, we're going to use not only the regulators, I'm at a regulator conference right now, and they're like, wow, um, you're doing important work, we'll support you. We didn't realize the importance of this data. We're also leveraging the trade associations. And so we're compiling a list of every trade association in the United States, and then we're gonna deploy it that way because we're greedy for data and we wanna get as many of the over 40,000 licensees as possible. So. Um, in future, we're going to leverage trade associations in combination with the regulators themselves. Anyone else? Bo, do you see this as a uh, continuing trend? Thank you for uh, for joining us too, by the way. Do you see this as a continuing trend downward? Got it. Do you see it as a continuing trend, operators not making any money? Um, in terms of seeing this as a trend, you know, the trend's been going in the wrong direction. Last year, it was 42%. Uh, profitability um, this year is 24.4%. But what we saw in the data was that there was a fundamental shift in terms of operators doing more with less, and they were really trying to wring out as much as many costs as possible in their operations. But right now, with increased input costs, increased material costs, increased labor costs, and declining prices due to saturation of supply, there's really not much more that can be done to wring out those costs. So I think the trend will slow. We may have achieved a bottom, but I'm not quite, uh, it's too early right now to tell if I can call the bottom or not. But I think, uh, you know, there's not too many of them left that are making a profit. And so, but that, I think that pace of decline will slow over the next year. Um, but one thing to note is that uh, based upon our data at the macro level, not just with cannabis, we're seeing economic conditions with inflation. We're seeing economic conditions that would suppress growth and development of any industry due to higher interest rates. And so in my report, we're not forecasting a resumption of normal growth until the Q1 of 2025. And so the, the entities in the cannabis space that are surviving are going to have to continue to do more with less, tighten their belts, and they're going to have to survive the next seven quarters until um, they unwind the higher interest rates, until there's more investment opportunities and more appetite towards investment in the cannabis industry. Amazing. All right. Thank you, Bo. I'll thank let you, you get Bo. back to your conference. We appreciate that. Thank right, you, thank Gretchen. Thank you for this opportunity and great questions from your audience. We really appreciate that. No problem. Bo, you're a beast. Thank you, Bo. We appreciate it. Make sure to send you the link so you can check it, check yourself out on Gretchen's cell phone. Bo knows <laughs> polls. Gretchen, yeah, now you know how it was. Go ahead and do it. Gretchen, now you know how it was back in the day when we had to do three ways with the homie from prison. You know what I mean? We'd put the two. I don't want to know about any three ways in prison, Luke. Oh, SIM card 69, baby. SIM card 69. On that note, we're going to go right into our next story. We're, we're super, super short on time. We have Luke Scaramazzo joining us today on his fresh out. That's right. Fresh back with us. That's right. Has a very interesting story about some criminal justice reform. What do you have this morning for us, Luke? Good morning, everybody. Uh, happy Monday. 
Um, day number 142 out of my Mississippi prison cell, which this is much nicer. So thanks for having me on. Um, today, I got a story from Marijuana Moment um, that says, Minnesota Supreme Court is taking applications to serve on the new marijuana expungement board being created by legalization law. Minnesota Supreme Court is looking to for a designee to sit on the marijuana expungements board that is being created under the state's new legalization law. In a public notice that was posted Wednesday, the court described the composition and responsibilities of the cannabis expungement board, which will facilitate record sealing for people with eligible marijuana convictions on their record. After cases have been identified by the State Bureau, State Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, the board will need to review them to determine if the offense would no longer be a crime or be a lesser crime and then decide, quote, whether the person's conviction would be vacated, charges dismissed, record expunged, and whether the person should be resentenced to a lesser offense, end quote, the notice said when the court's chief justice. The board would be formally established on the same day that the cannabis possession and home cultivation are legalized on August 1st. Members will hold meetings at least monthly and shall hold a meeting whenever the board takes formal action on a review of a conviction or a stay of adjudication for an offense involving the sale and possession of marijuana, the Supreme Court said. In addition, the court's designee, the board will also be comprised of a representative of the state's attorney's general's office, the commissioner of corrections, public defender and the public member appointed by the governor or board meetings will be made public and members will are eligible for compensation people who are interested in, in appointing should submit an application with the letter detailing their interest in the role by july 21st bca said it will make technical and pro programmatic changes to this criminal history system so that it expects that the offenses will continue to appear on public records until closer to August of 2024. While legalization goes into effect on August 1st, it will take longer for the state's first adult use retailers to open. The Office of Cannabis Management, which maintains a regulatory body overseeing the program, will be formally established the next month and then begin creating the infrastructure. However, the state has shown that it's eager to expeditiously stand up to the industry, and the governor, Tim Walls, said earlier this month that the Indian tribes in the state may be able to start selling adult to adult consumers sooner than the standard. Dem the Democratic farm labor legislatures are pointing to the achievement on cannabis reform as a direct result of the voters putting the party in the majority in both chambers after last year's election. The legislation that advanced through both chambers is an iteration of the 2021 House-passed bill from the former Majority Leader Ryan Winkler, who now serves as campaign chairman of the Advocacy for Coalition. Minnesota is ready. I, I applaud the state of Minnesota for moving so quickly to expunge its citizens' cannabis convictions. Um, in too many instances, we've seen where states that legalize cannabis, like really get bogged down and, and drag their feet on this aspect of it, which, you know, to me is one of the most important parts of legalization is to make sure that we free people who are sitting in cages and 
uh, remove the collateral consequences that cannabis convictions have that make it hard for people to function in society. Um, I'll kick it off to my correspondent. So what do you guys think about this? I, I like this, Luke. Is this, is this something that you would sign up for if you were in uh, Minnesota? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's really important that we have stakeholders involved in these processes, mm -hmm. the people that are affected, especially the people that have been impacted by prohibition. Too often do we see like just politicians and attorneys and all these other people that don't really know you know, the effects that, that these, these type of things have and the collateral consequences that affect people in our communities. I think it's super important to have people that are all involved. And I don't mean like, you know, don't have them people in, but I, I think we, we need more people that are stakeholders at the seat of, at the, seat of the table. And, uh, you know, listen, if they're gonna cut checks for it, it said we're being compensated, um, I'd sit on a board for six figures. Come holler at me. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, what's your take on uh, automatic expungements? Do they do they work? Have they? Um, no, I haven't seen them work well. the The problem with that is like they act like they don't know how to do it. Like they act like they don't have a database that can like in a few strokes of the computer, you know, scan through and see everyone who has a cannabis uh, conviction. Um, it's it's not hard to do. The, the federal government just did it when when they passed the the First Step Act, they had to go through and see all the people who had nonviolent drug crimes to see if they qualified for um, these certain programs and, and days off and to be able to earn credits and things like that. I mean, it took the federal government four years to do that. Like it passed in 2018. The guys in federal prison are just getting this, you know, th these credits within the last few months. So, I mean, it's discouraging when you see government operate. It, government, it, to me, is the epitome of inefficiency. Um, I would, I would suggest like hollering at some of the people in the Silicon Valley. Make an app. Make these guys write some code that can go right through the system and and identify who who this would help. Well, Luke, and I hate to disagree with you, but it's extremely difficult for these states to do it. Uh, the problem is, is that most of the judicial system, a lot of these offenses are done by the local municipalities um, and they don't have systems that talk to each other. I've worked with Bo on reports looking at uh, cannabis offenses and it was damn near impossible getting data out of states. You had some lady named Mildred with index cards who was telling you what people's offenses were. I mean, it's just a shit show trying to get these local uh, jurisdictions to really understand what the different um, offenses are. And so it's not as easy as just pushing a button and expunging these things. Um, and I've also learned that working with um, minorities from medical marijuana on some of their expungement clinics. Um, it takes lawyers to sit down, really go through these things. People have things in multiple jurisdictions, multiple states, multiple offenses that aren't just cannabis. Uh, there's a lot to this. Um, and honestly, I'm surprised you would want to be on a board where it looks like they're going to make unless i'm misreading this it looks like they're going to make judgments on who should be expunged and who shouldn't not based off of like all right you have this offense you get expunged it seems like they're going to debate whether or not people should be expunged well that's why i think it's important for like i said people that are in our positions to be on these boards so that we can actually to me it's really simple it's it's if you have a cannabis conviction it should be expunged, obviously. But then also, if you have 
cannabis, if you have a conviction that if you take the cannabis out of the conviction, would that conviction be able to stand alone by itself? Like, for instance, like if you have a felon in possession of a firearm while committing a drug trafficking offense, okay? If you take away that drug trafficking offense and he's just a legal firearm owner, obviously we don't have that, that, that offense anymore. Um, now, the, I, I totally hear you on like, it, I think it's how you attack the problem. Now you can go through like, every state has their Department of Corrections, right? The Department of Corrections actually has who is incarcerated and what reason sure. they're incarcerated for. Now, I think like if you start there, get the people out of prison. Now you're right, like it's way more, you get way more in the weeds when you deal with like the people that are already out, people with multiple multiple convictions in multiple jurisdictions. And, and that's where you, you could get bogged down. But I think the getting the people out of prison is a, a, a easier, easier uh, pill to swallow. I think it's an easier lift because you can easily, you can go right to CDC or right to the Minnesota Department of Corrections and say, okay, give me a printout of everyone who has a cannabis conviction that is being incarcerated within your system. And that, and that can be done. Right. But are all those people serving time in state facilities? Aren't a lot of these also on the local level as well? Um, you're saying like going, like waiting to be adjudicated, like through like the county jail system? Or there's not room. Yes. Other places that these guys are for a, a lower offense are not going into, you know, the state pen. Um, yeah, like there there are people, it's, it's a super limited number, but there are people that serve sentences in the county jail. Um, but once you, once you become, uh, once they give you what's called a commitment to the state, state prison system, um, no matter where you're serving that sentence, it could be in a private prison, it could be in the county jail, it could be in an actual state facility, you're under the state authority and the state will be able to have the uh, records to be able to calculate what your offense is. And same thing on the county level, right? I mean, can't you pull every county jail, you know, is is generally public record as to what uh, inmate is uh, being incarcerated for. So, but also I do agree with Gretchen's point and I don't know why, the, the data collection is so difficult, but I mean, you're right. Uh, municipalities have a million different ways to control the data, organize the data, you know, records retention, et cetera. So it, it is not an, an easy lift, but the way that Luke describes it, I think is simplifies things significantly. Very, very interesting uh, conversation. And we definitely need to have more folks like you, Luke, on these boards to make sure the shit gets done in a proper and right. fair manner. Um, it is something that I think that AI and blockchain could have fixed a long time ago, but that's a different, different, uh, different conversation for a different day. Bringing us home today is a former Northern California cop, now a security consultant at CC Security Solutions, here to bring us home, but also to make sure that you, everybody out there, is prepared to always properly protect yourselves in any situation on any day. Chris Eggers, what you got for us, my man? Rico Lamit, thank you for the intro. I know we're over time, so I'll be super brief. My um, article comes out of High Times and touches on the three consumption lounge licenses that were uh, granted by the Nevada Cannabis Control Board, uh, two in the Las Vegas Valley and one in um, uh, northern Nevada, northwestern corner of Nevada, uh, Reno area. So I know we're out of time. Um, th this is, this is um, an interesting article. Uh, I encourage you to read it. Um, one of the quotes comes by uh, a managing partner of Reset, a cannabis consult consulting firm representing live 
and said that approximately their 3,000 square foot lounge uh, venue, Smoke and Mirrors, would bring a place for Canicurious tourists to be introduced to a different marijuana experience and products uh, without visiting a dispensary. So um, sorry to be brief, but I know we're out of time and uh, happy Monday to everybody. Hold on. You, you, you live near one of these. You're not too far from Reno. Correct. Yep. So, so I'm up when, in Northern so, California so, on the California side. So, yeah, so when I'm going to do this opens, a little bit. When this opens, sorry? are you going to go check that one out when this opens? Come on up. You know you're always welcome up here. Look at that. Yo, here's the casino hack. You can smoke DMT carts on the casino floor because they don't t- they don't smell like weed. It's weird. <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Saying, mm-hmm. thank you, Monday. I I, just love, I love Matthew Saint Germain absolutely. <laughs> but thank you all out there for tuning in for, with us for yet another episode of High 9 News. I know we're a little overtime today. Thank you all for sticking with us. But you can catch us live weekdays, 9 a.m. Pacific, high noon on the East Coast. Big shout-out to our live audience members, online supporters tuning in and giving us feedback on the daily headlines of chaos, also known as the everyday cannabis developing news. Our tenured industry correspondent team tuning in from all over the world, giving us much variety of perspective and adding your opinions to the conversation. Our production team, Cloud Media Partners, House of Fuego, Vortex, and um, all of our sponsors making sure our AV struggles stick to a minimum. Jaja Simone, I owe you a call back from this weekend. I love you over there, too. To all the haters out there, it is Monday. Make sure you guys had enough love over the weekend so you can come at us strong because we're bringing it this week. We're bringing it. Nick Bradley. <laughs> Finally, Cannabis Sativa L. You are the sacred reason the Hyatt 9 News team shows up to read these headlines every single day. Thank you, too. It has been Monday, June 26, 2023. You all have been hit with the top industry news of the day. Hope was enough to put in your pipe and smoke at least till tomorrow. I'm Rico Lamy, the dopest dad on the street. Luke Scarmazzo, what you got for us today, my man? Oh, out. Be good to people. Smoke weed every day. Hello. Watch.